Hello everyone. Welcome once again to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Hi, Chris. Hello. And I'm, of course, your eponymous Ruth, Ruth McPhee. That's the Ruth in question. I'm just going to pass Chris a glass of wine and then we'll get started. Here you are, my love. Very surprised. Well, it's a first for us today at Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. A first because normally with our East Anglian adventures, we are in Cambridgeshire or in Norfolk or indeed in Suffolk. Not today. Where are we today? Somewhere in the east of Anglia that isn't in those counties. Exactly. We're in Essex today. So we're venturing a little bit further afield, away from the Holy Trinity (laughs) of East Anglian counties and down, down to Essex, which resides at the bottom of the rump of East Anglia. Is Essex formally a part of East Anglia? Well, what is formally a part of East Anglia? Well, I don't know. That's the question I'm asking. We've discussed this before. I think it's a, it's broad. It's okay. vague. So some yeah, of East Essex... Anglia is a sense of mind. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> the top of Essex is definitely in that lump, mm. that side lump. Whereas other bits of Essex, maybe you would say, not quite so much. But yeah, so we're going to Essex. How do you like them apples? Fine. I've been there. It's all right. Yeah, great. Okay. Now, we're going to the village of Felsted, and we're going to talk about the Felsted Hag. Hag. Have you heard of such a hag? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you all about it today. Great. I hope it might be a fun and slightly different story to some of our usual oh, okay. stuff. Because on the start off, the mention of hag makes me think it might be similar to previous You stories. think Mother Lumpkin's on the horizon? Maybe. Or, you know, witches from other counties. Yeah, could be. Well, this hag is actually a carved wooden hag. Oh, okay. And like a sea hag? Sort of, maybe. We'll discuss that. I'll tell you all about the hag, the carving, and there's a few, as usual, of course, a few different stories about why the hag is there, what does the hag mean, who does the hag represent. Okay, so let's have a little brief business about Felsted in Essex. Vin's just clambering all around behind me. You can probably hear, I don't know. Oh, Vin, what is it you want? Okay, we've got Vin on my knee, so he might bump the microphone. Felsted, I don't know much about it. Look, it's a small village in Essex. But what I can tell you is just a few bits and pieces. It's an old village. It dates, well, as far back and no doubt further than the Doomsday Book. Mm -hmm. Can you remember what year that is? This is a test of history for you. No, I can't. Any guess? If you're on House well, of Games and I you know, had to my, do my you're terrible at dating, what would you guess? Natural thing goes to 1066. <laughs> okay, well. But I think it's earlier than that, right? No, oh. it's um, 1086. Oh, okay. So it was, it was organised by William the Conqueror. Okay. Or, you know, his sort of area. Basically like a census, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the census. So Felsted is recorded in the Doomsday Book, 1086, as Felestada. Uh, Felestada. How does Old English sound? I don't know. Who does? Only Chaucer. Maybe that's old French. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. Old, old village, been there, you know, years and years and years and years. Other than the hag, which 
does garner some interest. The main thing that Felsted's known for is a public school, oh. the Felsted School, right. which is a sort of prep school. Can you tell me any uh, posh famous alumni well, currently ruling our country who've come from there? <laughs> I sort of can. So the public school was founded in 1564, and guess who the following century sent four of their sons to the Felsted School? Founded in 1564. Yeah. I know, the Cromwells. Ha ha ha, our old friend! Was it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give you a clue, but you didn't need it. I was going to say, um, what if I said that it was favoured amongst Puritan families? Right, well then I would have been writing. Yeah, So, but you were writing anyway. So yes, it was our old friend Cromwell. We're not concerned with that today. But again, it just shows how Cromwell's everywhere. And one of those uh, four children was not Oliver Cromwell. No, Oliver Cromwell sent his four, four of his sons. What a hypocrite! He was a Puritan. I know, but also... Oh, well, come on, of course. Surely anti-establishment. We've all seen it. Mm. We've all seen it with politicians just sending their kids to private school, pretending yeah. state school's brilliant. I mean, in those days, state schools probably were, <laughs> weren't brilliant <laughs> if they existed at all. And also, I thought what was quite funny is that the school was founded by a man <laughs> bizarrely named Richard Rich. Oh, Richard Rich. <laughs> or I think Richard Rich, oh. Rich the French. First Baron Rich. Richard Rich, first Baron Rich. He founded the school. Like many Protestant landowners, Baron Rich had made a great deal of money from the dissolution of the monasteries Hooray. and he'd just like seize loads of the crap he'd got given loads of the shit i'm feeling like we should start up like a rufus stranger drinking game where right. every time you say yes. cromwell do a shot dissolution of the monasteries right. <laughs> eels any of those things crop up eel witches dissolution cromwell must be a special drink because right. he's you know he's such a leaming because it would be such figure. a in his face for you to be drinking oh cromwell you absolute fucker yeah so Ah, uh, but then I just start getting Cromwell in, shoehorning him. <laughs> Joe and Katie, when they're back, they'd just be shouting eels. At it should be every it should be a game a game for listeners, unbeknownst to you, and then you wouldn't yes. be able to unfairly influence it. So none of what we just said, make your own ones up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a little aside because I found the name Richard Rich Baron First Baron Rich amusing, uh, and the fact that Cromwell's children went there. Anyway, let's not worry about those because what we want to talk about today is instead a building called Boot House. <laughs> Boot with an E at the end. Oh, okay. So we're going to talk about Boot House, and from there we will focus in on the hag. Here's a bit of background to Boot House. It still stands to this day. Boot House, it's a grade two listed building, which means, of course, you can't change the outside. Right. You can change inside a bit. Did you know that? Um, not really, no. no. So. Okay. Well, you know that to be a grade two listed building, you must have, you know, it's... A bit of historical significance, yeah, yeah. but not, you know, shitloads of historical <laughs> significance. It's not unique. No, it's a, a feature, but right. it's not unique. It's at 1 Chelmsford Road in Felsted. The edifice was built in 1596. James Stuart was king at this point. First of England, sixth of Scotland. Oh, yeah. But the house has a bit of the old Tudor look to it, even though the Tudors are actually gone. Black and white. Yeah, well, beams, yeah. a lot of timber. Timber and beams. Um, it's a timber frame building, uh, three stories tall. The top floors do that thing where they overhang the lower floors. So you could pull your waist yeah, throw uh, your not on people out. beneath. And it wouldn't hit the side of your house, hopefully. <laughs> it wouldn't, wall, you wouldn't they? throw out the slops from your top window. You're throwing the slops out, imagine it. And they strike me, I'm peering out of a lower window. This way you get a bit of an overhang. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Or Vin, he's come out of the cat flap right yeah. at the bottom. And also passers-by can dive for cover when they hear you shout. Yes, precisely. What do you shout? Slop? Yeah. Incoming! <laughs> it has that kind of slightly Tudory look, and it's got one side a bay window. It's a corner house, so you've got a lot of window areas. Some are those little small-paned casement windows. Right. You know the kind of thing. I can imagine it. Red-tiled roof up top and if you want to there's photos online of the boot house but what i did which seems somehow much more exciting is went on google street view <laughs> and looked for the address <laughs> and like see it. yeah i was like oh i'll just come up this road oh i'm on chelmsford road in felsted off i go keep on walking and then you can like zoom in on the house so it's as if you've come upon it yourself. Of so have a look at that. I find that more fun than just looking off a photo. <laughs> of course, it's all quite, the detail's not great on Google Street View. <laughs> anyway, seemed quite fun to me. How entertained you are. Oh, it's hard in lockdown. <laughs> it's hard in lockdown. I have to just imagine I'm going to Felsted <laughs> by walking through the streets of Google Street View. The house was constructed by a local builder by the name of George Boot. Good, strong builder's name. Yep. George Boot. Much of the sturdy and prominent timber that is used to build the structure of the house is thought to have come from old ships and boats. Okay. How far inland are we? Well, that's exactly what I thought when I read that. I thought, hang on, how far well, inland are we? Well, because obviously bits of Essex are by the sea. Sure, but not this bit. No. <laughs> so we're about 20 miles. No, that's not. I mean, when there was that news report the other week that they'd schlepped Stonehenge down from Wales, I mean, sure. bringing a few timbers 20 miles inland in Essex no, doesn't I guess seem to be a, It's not anywhere near the scale of Stonehenge, let's all admit it. Maybe that's how you get to be grade two listed. <laughs> <laughs> 20 miles, just grade one. But it's 20 miles away is the, so the closest sort of seaport area is Blackwater Estuary. Mm-hmm. Another aside, I love to have asides, as you know. Blackwater Estuary is the location of O.C. Island. Oh, yeah. Tell us about O.C. Island. Well, I don't know, know much about it other than that it was the featured location of that recent TV series, which the name of which I've forgotten already. It's the third day. The third day, that's right. Which started off as a promising folk horror. and uh, Quite Wicker Man derivative, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very derivative, yeah. But, you know, some good performances. Paddy Except, Const- I always like Paddy Constantine. I know, but Jude Law was the weak link. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Jude Law, yeah. if you're listening. You were the weak link. I mean, it looked gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And it set... I didn't realise OC Island was, was a real place Was a real place initially. It's the third day and it's set on this island and there's a very sort of thin, long, winding causeway which goes back to the mainland, which of course gets covered at high tide and then that's why you're stuck on OC Island. But it's very cinematic, really a lovely looking place. And that's where O.C. Island is. It's in the Blackwater Estuary, just off the coast of Essex. And it's nowadays, it's owned by a record producer. Oh, really? Yeah, he owns the whole island. He's got a recording studio there. And then he will like rent out, I guess, the sort of the island, like you go and stay on the island. You have have somewhere to stay and you have your studio. And Rihanna recorded an album there, apparently. Just imagine Rihanna on O.C. Island. Barbados to uh, O.C. Island. Yeah. What's the name of the record producer? Can't remember. Oh. I didn't recognise it. Okay. I mean, someone with a huge amount of money. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. There's very few people, I imagine, who can afford to own, well, afford to own an island. I was going to say afford to own a residential studio, but probably he's got even better than that. Ronson could. Yeah, probably Ronson could. Can't think of any others. Calvin Harris? Yeah, I guess so. He's probably quite rich. He might want to buy a small island <laughs> off the coast of Essex. Anyway, he can't. Someone else owns it. I'd say I'd recommend The Third Day. Have a look. 
Yeah, I mean, we never actually finished watching it. No. I, think it was I mean, that is a... not a massive vote of no, confidence, not, is it? <laughs> I suppose we watched it to a point where it came to a conclusion. We watched it. And we weren't enamoured enough of the conclusion <sighs> to be bothered to watch anymore. Yeah, Jude Law, he was the weak link. Mm. He's just so Jude Lawish. So trying to act. So, his yeah, acting is, is not transparent, is it? Yeah, it's, you're very much like, here's Jude Law acting a character. Mm. You don't just immerse in the character. Oh, he's got a quirk. He's doing some blinking. <laughs> it's, it's just much. Jude Law doing some blinking. <laughs> That's his, his uh, tip. Blink yeah. as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jude Law, I'm sorry. Let's move on. So back to George Boot. I don't know how much he blinks. I reckon not that much. No, a normal amount. Just as much as a builder has to, to stop the sawdust from getting into mm, his well, eyes. Well, that maybe is more than, more than usual. <laughs> more than your average person. Yeah. George Boots, then, in addition to being a builder, he constructed this very fine three-storey big timber corner house. He was something of a carpenter, as you would have to be to create such a house. And he was so pleased with his creation, his house, that he carved the legend in quite big letters... George Boot made this house, 1596. Why not? Along one of the exterior side beams. And is that visible on Google Street View? It is. Is it? It is visible because he carved it into the beam. Right. And then, painted the I presume, painted the yeah. letters so they stood out. And because it's grade two... You've um, got to keep repainting it every time. Yeah, yeah, so you have to show that you're doing some upkeep. So if you go on Google Street View, you can see his boastful legend, George Boot made this house. <laughs> Maybe in those days, though, everyone was making the house. Perhaps it wasn't such well, a Well, then thing. what was he boasting about? Oh, just making sure everyone knew whose it was. It does look a good house. Incidentally, until quite recently, it was a restaurant. But I, I, it seems like COVID's done for it, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. So maybe it'll be back on the market soon. The boot house can be yours. So he carved that legend. He also carved along the beams on the exterior some floral designs with flowers and swirling stems, tendrils. A description I read said that there's a dragon, mm. but I couldn't see a dragon. On Google Street. On Google view. Street View. <laughs> but like um, the, uh, the, dragons around the, back. the listing of the building on the grade two listing thing yeah. gives a bit of a description and it does say there's a dragon. So we have to take their word for it. So there's various different bits of decoration. As I say, they've all been like the painting has been kept up on them. So they're different colours mm. and um, all very lovely. Now we come to it. The order of the day. Wine for fortification. <sighs> ASMR. I'm all about it. <laughs> I think you've missed the point. George Boot. You can't just say words. But what about if they end with a nice T? George Boot. I think you want elongated sound. George Boot. <laughs> yes, if you want. <laughs> oh. oh. No, you sound like a bog monster. <laughs> the order of the day, the first attack. The most prominent and famous carving on the Boot House is the hag. But what's the hag? What do you imagine? I suppose given what you said earlier, I imagine it a bit like the figurehead on a boat. Yeah, maybe. Kind is of. It a, well, is it is it a carving in relief or is it a sculptural It's quite so. Thing? I'll explain what the hag is. As I say, just right now, while you're listening, go and find it on Google Street View. You can you can... give us a longitude and a latitude? No, I can't. I can tell you it's at 1 Chelmsford Road, Felsted. That's all I can tell you. The boot house may show up. It's on the corner... So think of a corner mm -hmm. and then think of where the first floor slightly overhangs yep. the lower floor. I laboured that point earlier because it was important. And on that corner piece where you've got that sort of inward 
right angle, there is the hag. Right, okay. So the hag is a carving of a woman. Propelling forward from the corner of the building. Yes, sort of. And she's in a sort of weird hunched over position, bent over with her hands around her knees. And it's as if her back is carrying this terrible burden of the top floor of the house. (laughs) Poor old uh, hag. So she looks quite awkward. She's kind of squashed into this strange right angle position. And it looks like she's kind of supporting the house somewhat. And it's quite a, dare I say, crude, Mm. a crude rendition of a woman. By crude, you mean not terribly well accomplished. Yes, as opposed to but her, her boobs are out. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> she's painted white. The only clothing on her is a kind of girdle or like a bridle, which goes around her arms and sort of like straps across her body. Uh-huh. And that's painted green, but boobs are out, right. no nipples. Again, like a figurehead. Yeah. And she's got red lips and like quite black kind of eyes. So she's this sort of quite grotesque, a grotesque figure. Um, and this is the handiwork of George Boot. George Boot himself carved the figure. Did he As... write, George Boot made this on <laughs> George Boot, aged 37 and a half. <laughs> I don't know how old George Boot was. And the most peculiar thing about this grotesque figure is that she has cloven hooves. Oh, interesting. Yes, very strange <laughs> indeed. So it's really a feature. It's not huge, but it's big enough that it's very prominent on the side of the house. And it's this quite strange white with these really bright coloured splashes. And as I say, a bit of a weird, strange, almost horrific sort of figure, I Mm. would say. What then is the story behind the carving? How did it become hag? It's just got a haggish look about it. The name hag is stuck. So there's no, well, you're going to tell us the story. Well, George Boot didn't, as far as I know, he didn't sort of leave a will saying, I leave my house with hag intact to my heirs, you know. (laughs) So for me, it puts me in mind of a couple of different things, one of which you've already mentioned. A figurehead from a ship. Figurehead from a ship. And that would sort of make sense because if he's got the timber from these old boats, Mm. you could see maybe it would be a kind of an homage to the idea that the figurehead on a boat. It was a time when figureheads were popular. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, it was still the era of expansion. Well, you know, the galleons. Yeah, yeah. Galleons were off around the world laying claim to different parts of the uh, globe in a hideous colonial way. And they would have these figureheads, which were often female. They were thought to kind of embody the spirit of the ship. We've all seen Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, yeah, they don't all talk. (laughs) They were also thought to kind of offer protection to the sailors. As we know, a superstitious lot, Mm, Yeah, the sailors. The most famous figurehead I can think of is the Cutty Sark figurehead in London. And she's holding a... Now, what's the story? She's holding a tail, isn't she? Because she's caught it from a horse. Okay. She was chasing somebody and she snatched it from a horse. Oh, Oh, I can't remember the story. I remember going to see the Cutty Sark when I was a small girl and mum explaining to me this story about, I think is she a, a witch or a... Anyway, can't remember. Sorry, everyone. So that's the first thing it made me think of is a figurehead. And the other thing is just gargoyles. Right, or Sheila and the Giggs. Or she, well, tell us, Chris, if you will, about <laughs> Sheila and the Giggs. Well, they're very specific carvings, weirdly often found on churches, aren't yes. they? Of female forms, usually quite ugly. And they are pulling apart the lips of their vaginas. Vulvas. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Pulling... They are pulling apart the lips of their vaginas. And their boobs out. 
And the boobs out. Yeah. And the, you know. So they're quite obscene figures, really. Yeah. yeah. She's not that obscene, this one. You can't, her legs are together, but boobs are out, as, as discussed. Yes, so sort of gargoyles and Sheila gigs and that sort of stone, more typically stone carvings that you get on churches. Mm. Gargoyles, of course, originally were to spout out water. Yeah, they had a practical use. In them. But she's not spouting out any water. Perhaps it was purely decorative, and he just thought, I'll just have a fun time. Carving a strange old hand. Yeah, a bit of wood left over. But, no, there are some other stories which are a bit more specific to Felsted and, dare I say, a little bit more interesting. <laughs> the first rumour that has circulated about the carving is that it is actually a representation of George Boot's wife. Oh, <laughs> dear. And it was said that George Boot's wife was quite ugly <laughs> quite unfortunately quite ugly but that she had been cursed into ugliness by witchcraft and george boot had married her out of pity oh well is that a nice thing i'm not sure well it seems to me that if you were to marry someone out of pity you're not then gonna like carve a ugly great carving of them and stick it on the side of your house are you well in, unless you want to celebrate your gallantry <laughs> oh just bragging <laughs> However, I to me that seems a little bit unlikely because of the cloven hooves. Oh yeah. So I think again, let's think what time it is. It's drinking game bingo. The witch hysteria, the witch fervor has started to sweep the country. Mm. So would it really be a good idea to do a carving of your wife with cloven hooves when Essex was agog with witch trials and news of witches and horrors of sorcery and bedevilment? Well, unless you wanted rid of the wife. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but then you've got that on your house forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about that, but it does bring us rather nicely to the quite interesting story about what's possibly behind the carving. Did you know that one of the the sort of first, earliest, most well-known witch trials happened in Essex? I did not know that. Well, let me tell you about it. Not a blow-by-blow account, not today, but just a sort of short potted history to to give us some context. So it happened in 1566 in the village of Hatfield Peveril near Chelmsford. Remember the witchcraft acts relevant for these trials had been passed in 1542 by Elizabeth I and again in 1563 and what these witchcraft acts did was to basically make it a crime to practice witchcraft and in particular a most heinous crime if you caused anyone harm via witchcraft and that was punishable by death and right. that's what these witchcraft acts set out. So if, if you uh, have been with us since the beginning, you may have heard our first two episodes ever, which were about the Witches of War Boys, which was a Huntingdonshire-based witch trial and we talk a bit more about the witchcraft acts then, so why not go back? Have a listen to our first amateurish efforts. As opposed to the later amateurish efforts. <laughs> to our, a year later, slightly less amateurish, but still somewhat unprofessional efforts. So the context for, for the first witch trials in Essex is it's it's very recent that these, these witchcraft acts have been passed. So it's kind of in the, it's a big concern for the crown for the people of course it's to do with stamping your religious authority of course uh, onto things and subjugation of women i expect well, sure <laughs> why not always always is so in hatfield peveril three women in particular began to feel the effects of this religious zealotry and this rising hysteria around the idea of witches 
all amongst us, hidden, hidden in our very communities, these these people who were secretly doing witchcraft and causing harm. All um, of them witches. All of them witches. Agnes Waterhouse. Always Agnes. I know. I know. I had a look at, there's a, a various resources online and there's a list of everyone who was accused of witchcraft in Essex and all the years of the different trials. And a whole shitload of them are called Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> and another whole shitload of them are called Alice. Right. <laughs> then you get some Elizabeths and things. But yeah, Agnes was a super popular name. Agnes and Alice. Um, so Agnes Waterhouse, her daughter Joan and a friend of theirs, Elizabeth Francis... The three of them were accused of witchcraft. Their crimes were listed as cursing livestock, consorting with demons in the form of Of familiars, in particular a white-spotted cat who had previously lived with Elizabeth and Elizabeth Francis had at some point, for whatever reason, given her to Agnes. So this was seen to be like the connection that brought Elizabeth Francis into the the web was this familiar that they were kind of passing around. Not your stereotypical witch's cat. A white spotted one, <laughs> no. Although from the reports I've read, it does seem to have been called Satan. But <laughs> I feel like... I think you've only got yourself to blame. <laughs> I feel like that's probably an accusation that got made. By the um, by, the accusers, the prosecutors, and that's kind of just stuck in the records because I can't imagine you'd call your cat Satan. <laughs> um, cursing livestock, consorting with demons, and most heinous of all, the worst crime, causing harm. Oh, yeah. A mysterious and, illness. Yes. And unfortunately for her, Agnes Waterhouse's husband had died not long before of a illness. So that was added to her list of crimes. <laughs> One of the, the key witnesses in this case was a 12-year-old girl mm. called Agnes. <laughs> uh, and she was seen to be, you know, this sort of crucial witness for the prosecution. Right. Um, and her accusations were given a huge amount of weight considering that she was a 12-year-old girl. But other others came forward to... Uh, lay the blame at the feet of the women. Now, it's quite... I find this quite sad. So they were subjected to questioning. We all know what that means. Probably (laughs) some quite bad shit. Sorry, I was just thinking of that terrible Neil Marshall film we saw with... um, Oh, my life! um, Sean Pertwee (laughs) as the... Was uh, it called The Reckoning? Oh, I think so, yeah. Good Lord, people. What? Here's what you should do. If you ever feel compelled to watch The Reckoning, if don't you, just well, don't no, do it. <laughs> if you really want to watch it, I would say drink as much as you can bear, and then watch it with some friends, and you may, you'll find you'll find laughter in it. But it's not in as far as I can tell, it's not intended to be funny. <laughs> yeah, it's appalling. It's a it's about um it's a Hopkins style witchfinder general mm. played by Sean Pertwee. Yeah who Chris does not rate as an actor, but actually he's the best thing in this film. Well, that tells you all you need to know. I like him because of the MasterChef, MasterChef voiceover. <laughs> the dulcet tones of Pertwee reassuring us about someone making a risotto in a correct way. And he, you know, he's investigating women and there's this like unfeasibly gorgeous, clean peasant <laughs> woman <laughs> who's immaculate. AKA Neil Marshall's wife. Possibly just girlfriend, but, uh, and she sort of strides through the film having these horrifying torches done to her and she's like absolutely pristine makeup, beautiful uh, styled hair. Yeah, it, it's really quite poor. 
And the, some of the scenes reminded me of horrible histories. <laughs> I mean, actually, thinking back now, I almost want to watch it again. Oh, just to Just to fully fling myself in how bad it is. Now that you have low expectations. Yes, exactly. Now that I'm just looking out for horrible history style, terrible scenes and ludicrous. And there's some like weird dream sequences where she's like having sex with the devil and things. And they spent all their CGI money on the devil. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Oh dear. That was just the image in my mind when you said that these women were interrogated. Yeah, but Sean it... Pertwee with his hammy face. <laughs> oh dear. No, I think it wouldn't. It, it would have been a lot grimier. No one would have had nice makeup on. Probably stinky. Mm. Just a bad, a bad business for these women. Agnes Waterhouse and Elizabeth Francis, her neighbour, eventually confessed, and Joan did not exactly confess but she did give testimony that she had seen her mother performing witchcraft and speaking to the familiar so she basically dobbed her mum in did she get a more lenient sentence yes she was she was acquitted so joan waterhouse the daughter was acquitted agnes waterhouse was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging she recanted her confession clearly because it had been probably made under horrifying conditions, but it was too late by then. Up to the gallows she went. And Elizabeth Francis, interestingly, because this seems to have happened, not loads, but it wasn't infrequent. So she, at the time, she was found guilty of witchcraft, but not of causing harm. So Agnes's problem was that people thought she'd killed her husband. Elizabeth Francis did some consorting with Satan, the spotted cat, um, and she was sent to the pillories. So the pillories... Are basically stocks. Yeah. So you're usually maybe on a platform in the town square or something and your arms and your head go through the wooden things and people... It's a humiliation, but also people can basically kick the shit out of you as well. So it's it's a humiliation, but it's also got a horrible element of physical punishment mm. if the crowds decide that that's what they want to do. So poor Elizabeth Francis on this occasion went to the pillories, but some years later was accused again of witchcraft and on this occasion she was found guilty of causing harm of of murdering a neighbor using sorcery and so on this occasion which i think was about 15 years later she was sentenced to death there's no smoke without fire and she was hung Um, And the problem is that this seems to have been the thing is that because this awful sort of fervour was around and this suspicion and paranoia, Mm. plus if people were seen to be easy targets, these accusations, even if you're acquitted, would would resurface years and years later. Stay on your permanent record. Well, exactly. So you would, you know, as the mere sniff of any yeah. uh, sense you'd be the of first witchcraft. Name on the list. Exactly. You'd be the first name on the list. You'd be the first person that people denounced or suspected. So that's no fun. Unless you like hurling rotten fruit at people on village greens. Yeah. In which case, yeah. probably a bit of fun to be had. Uh, and there is, a, of course, as there always is in these witch trials, there's like detailed pamphlets that were written at the time, like we had with, with mm. the Witches of War Boys, that lay out all the charges and how the trial unfolded, all this kind of thing. But that is not our concern. I'm merely setting the scene for Essex at this time. That then is the Hatfield Peveril case, 1566, Agnes Waterhouse being the first woman to be executed in the UK for witchcraft, but by no means the last. 
as we know. So following this case, accusations and trials continued in Essex, spreading around East Anglia, all around the country for decades, decades longer. Hundreds were accused in the county for the remaining decades of the 16th century, pretty much all through the 1600s. And in fact, it wasn't until the passing of a a major change in law in 1735 that actually that law didn't recognise witchcraft and that law made it a crime to basically to pretend to be doing sorcery. So it made it a sort of a crime to deceive people into thinking that you, like psychics today, I guess you might say, Mm. you know, is is that on the edge of the the law or is it deception? Anyway, so, but before, obviously, before that happened, there were years and years and years of absolute horrifying accusations, horrible trials, awful torture. For a bit of context, Matthew Hopkins, the most famous witch finder, was active in the 1640s. So even after Agnes Waterhouse was executed, we have a long time to go before we get to the peak of the witch trials and then a long time after that before we start seeing it become horrible and outdated and you know and that was Suffolk Hopkins uh, Hopkins was all around the place was all around oh, okay. all around East Anglia yeah we are um I know Hopkins is obviously a an important figure in East Anglian history so we will we will have a whole episode or two on Hopkins at some point soon oh such a rotter but yeah a long time to go from Agnes Waterhouse to the end of the awful witch trials Hundreds, as I say, were accused in Essex. Some of the kind of estimates that I was looking at, uh, obviously there's some records, but they're not exhaustive, suggest between seven and 800 people were accused in that 200-year period, 182-year period. A great many were acquitted, but a great many were not acquitted um, and they were either found guilty and things like the pillories, Mm. as happened to Elizabeth Francis, or in the worst cases, they were executed. And around, again, estimates, around a quarter of the people accused were executed. So it was a lot of people. About 90% of them were women. So it was hugely, hugely skewed towards women. A bad old scene, a real bad old scene. What about Felstead then? That's what I was getting to. What about it? Don't forget, we're talking about the hag. Did Felstead escape this scourge of accusations and trials and paranoia and horror? Almost, but not quite. Not quite. In the year of 1593... Say the year of our Lord, 1593. <laughs> I'll say CE, Common Era, 1593. <laughs> In 1593, so... A few decades post Agnes Waterhouse, three years before the building of the Boot House, a woman from Felstead named Alice, Alice Albert, was accused. It was the classic setup. Alice was early 50s. She was a spinster. The records record it. They make sure to record it. She was accused of bewitching 22 sheep, a cow, a calf. Well, those, that was what was valuable in those yeah, days. Yeah, of course. 22 sheep, a cow, a calf, a pig. She bewitched them all, so they say. They all belonged to her neighbour, Roger Wood. The total worth of the animals was recorded as being a little over £7. In today's money, around £2,500. So this is quite significant, quite a significant thing. The accused, like many others before her, was taken to the assizes at Chelmsford for trial. Alice Albert protested her innocence. She did not confess, but to no avail, she was found guilty 
and sentenced to death by hanging. So causing harm to an animal was also yes. up there in the worst tier of... Yes. Right, okay. Yes. It was just things like consorting with familiars that right, wasn't that was quite level. such a bad business. Or maybe doing um, potions and things. But any harm, human or animal. Because also, remember, as I say, um, livestock was yes, property, the most valuable property. thing that people could have. So that was seen as being a crime against the person almost. So Alice Albert of Felsted was hung in 1593 and this event you would think must have left quite a lasting mark on the village to some of course no doubt horrifying some would have known that she was not a witch and they would have found the whole thing awful you would think also once the seed of witchcraft is in the village there yeah, would be that else fear would be looking, looking off their backs wouldn't they? and the yeah the fear that the accusations could could come flying at any moment as we as we know you know with agnes waterhouse just the word of a 12 year old girl was enough and she was condemned. So it must have been quite alarming thing to happen. But also, no doubt, there were a lot of people who would have been like, well, she got what she deserved, horrible old witch, you know. So what I'm getting to, the point I'm trying to make is it has been suggested by many historians and such types that the carving, the Felsted Hag, is an emblem of a witch inspired by the events just a few years earlier of the hanging of Alice Albert. And certainly it's quite a grotesque figure. I mean, you don't call it the Felsted Hag for nothing, do we? No, unless the case of uh, Alice Albert had already attracted the name the Felsted Hag and then... Oh, interesting. Uh, that been I have not come across that, but that could be true. That could be a thing. So this being a possibility, that would explain the cloven hooves. Yeah, of course. Consorting with the devil. It would explain the grotesque and hideous nature of the carving, because you're not going to carve a witch to be beautiful and lovely. Could it be that the strange girdle around her is shackles? And that it's a kind of humiliation, the fact that she is put up there on the house, is sort of vulnerable and humiliated just with this shackle and this kind of hideous face. So some have suggested it could be a kind of a warning. Right. Here's, this is what happens to witches. We shackle them up and we humiliate them and we punish them. So that could be possibly. We don't presumably know George Boots' feeling on the subject. We don't know George Boots' feelings. Or could it be, I mean, is she somehow intended to ward off evil? Is she there as a, a, a kind of totem? Like putting a fake stork in your fish pond. Yes. Yes. A real stork being evil, of course. Yes. So a witch will keep away the other witches. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. So there's various ideas, but I think that certainly, as we know that this witchcraft mania sweeping the county, and it had only been a short few years before that there had been a Felsted witch or an accused, it seems that, and the cloven hooves, it seems to me that that surely must play a role in what led George Boot to make this carving. Yeah, the cloven hooves seems like the evidence, doesn't <laughs> To it? you, that's the evidence. That's yeah. all we need. We, I mean, we'll never know for sure. We'll never know. Gargoyle, figurehead, witch. What is she? What is she, Chris? We will never know, but we can only ponder and think of all these interesting histories that could have led into the creation of the Felsted Hag. What is sure is that she is quite the feature of the village. I get the impression there's quite an affection for her now. But they have like Hagfest. <laughs> No, but there does seem to now be a kind of new, a new legend, an urban legend, which is that at Halloween she like leaps down and ah. cavorts around the village. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is quite good fun. But that's not an old story. That's a no. that's a newly developed fun idea. So that is the story of the Felsted Hag, or the rather the many stories of the Felsted Hag, and where she came from. So listen. I found it really interesting to learn about the Felsted Hag. Do you know of any strange carvings, listeners? If you are, have similar things, please let me know. Look on our website. Chris, what's the address? www.ruthisstranger.co.uk Yeah, have a look on there. You can send me a message or come and find us on Instagram. Ruth underscore is underscore stranger and tell me if you know of any similar strange carvings perhaps the Felsted Hag is not as unique as we imagine maybe there are similar carvings to be found elsewhere through the county tell us we want to hear about them all and quick go to Google Street View and find that hag go where Google Street View find that hag (laughs) Um, that's it for today I hope you enjoyed it And we'll be back soon with some more strange tales from East Anglia.